welcome to season three of Spotless, Breaking the Boundaries of Television, where creative, technology, and television converge. Brought to you by two media trailblazers, Triple Lift and Advertising Week, Spotless brings you conversations with the industry's boldest and most inspiring voices. I'm your host, Alexis Ruff, and with me today is Jan Livingston Mokhtari, an award-winning creative director, writer, filmmaker, marketing executive, and eco-entrepreneur, and most recently the co-founder with her husband of Grey Whale Gin. Jan, welcome to Spotless. Oh, thank you for having me, Alexis. I'm so happy to be here. We are thrilled to have you here. We want to start by wishing you the biggest congratulations for Greywell Gin becoming number two ranked in California and number five in the country for premium gin. It just so happens that gin and Greywell are one of my favorite spirits. So for our <laughs> listeners who are possibly not as familiar, can you share the story behind Greywell and how it came to life? Yes, it's pretty incredible results for me to take in too, because it all started as a side hustle. Greywell gin is a gin that's made up of botanicals that are forged along the migratory path of the Greywell, which is along the Pacific coastline, and every bottle supports ocean conservation. My husband and I were on a camping trip in Big Sur with our two daughters. This is back in 2016. It was one of those camping spots that you have to wake up at 6 a.m. six months before and call the 1-800 number. You know, it's on one of the top 10 camping spots in the world. If you Google McQuay Falls Big Sur, it's that iconic spot where this fresh waterfall falls into a beautiful lagoon. And we were sitting there in this incredibly gorgeous spot. And we looked at each other, you know, watching our girls around us playing outside in nature. And we looked at each other and had that conversation that you have when you're on vacation with your friends and family. And you say, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> That's really where it started. Because when you looked at both of us on paper, there was professional success. My professional success and background in, in marketing and advertising. And my husband is a Food Network host in the culinary world and also a National Geographic in the adventure world. But what we really asked ourselves were, were we using our time on this planet to make the world a better place and create a legacy business for our daughters that they would be, be really proud of? So that feels like a big lofty conversation, but I know that, that we've all had it before, especially during the past two years during the pandemic. And it made us think about what does success mean for us? And for me, it was about leaving a successful legacy behind to go beyond creative accomplishments and see how I can use my talents in service of something to benefit my family, my community, or you know, possibly the planet. <laughs> my husband has a background, as I said, in culinary and science world, and mine was in brand storytelling. So that's what we talked about was how can we combine our, our superpowers and our skill sets and now we laugh. It's funny. We say we created a spirits and gin business for our daughters, but, but that's really where it started. One of the other superpowers we shared is that we, we love gin. So as we're sitting there on that, on that gorgeous, you know, cliffside, and we saw a gray whale and its calf on their migratory journey up the Pacific coast. And that started another conversation about this incredibly majestic creature that has been doing this for 14 million years, a 12,000 mile migratory journey. And we knew we wanted to create a product that we were proud of, that we could craft from the beginning that brought people together for, for good times and joy and did some good in the world at the same time. 
Marsh and I are always kind of the center of our group of friends as far as entertaining, creating cocktails and cooking big, big meals. So that's really where we started. When we left that, that camping trip, we didn't know that it was going to be gin. We knew that it was going to be a spirit. As soon as we got a phone signal again, we, <laughs> we went to GoDaddy and bought the URL went home and spent nights and weekends jumping into the spirits industry and, and researching gin and distilling. And four months later, we sold our house and, and jumped all in. It is such a great story. It's just like the dream that I think so many people have of being inspired by something so organic around you and then jumping in and doing it, which everybody should be inspired by. Prior to the inception of Grey Whale. Let's talk about your career on the creative side of media, which was most recently at Fox Networks Group. How did you take the leap from head of creative at Fox and the learnings and experiences you've had there to the spirits industry? So I spent 25 years as a creative director working in advertising for creative agencies like Leo Burnett and 72 and Sunny. And I had the pleasure of working on incredible brands like Target and Samsung. And my career at 72 and sunny. I was there about four years and absolutely, you know, inspired. And one of the things I loved most about that was the, the brilliant people I got, got to work with there, but I wanted to continue to grow as a creative. And I felt like after 16 years in the business, especially as a writer and a storyteller, I was interested in more long form entertainment. So while at 72 and sunny, I took UCLA extension screenwriting courses and jumped into the world of film and, and TV and, and started writing some screenplays and pilots and pitched a couple of pilots to Rachel Ray. And that got picked up and made into a pilot. And then about six months later, I had another pilot that was picked up by E! And I was able to be the showrunner and, and writer on that. And that kind of threw me in the, into the entertainment world. But what I wanted was something perfect, which was blending those, those two worlds together. Uh, so I was super lucky to meet the team at Fox Networks Group, and I joined there as the executive creative director of their branded content studio, which was really leveraging all of the assets at Fox, which was FX, Fox, um, Fox Sports, and Nat Geo, and helping tell brand stories in that environment, which ranged anything from two-hour-long documentaries to two-minute um, short films that ran during commercial breaks. And... While I was there at Fox, as I said, we were on, on this camping trip. And what inspired me really about my, my last two years at Fox is what I was most excited about was the projects that we were doing that were purpose-driven. And thankfully, at the same time, our consumer was changing too. The millennial consumer was changing. That it was more important to them that brands stand for something, that brands align with their own values. And so we did some projects, um, including one for T-Mobile and Team Rubicon. And we worked with Darren Aronofsky on a project for the Sierra Club. And walking away from that, those were the projects I was most proud of, which I think kind of led to this discussion about spending more time in that purpose-driven world and using the power of media and entertainment and storytelling to not only move consumers you know, sometimes in our business, they we're moving consumers to a moment of consumption to, to buy something. And, and obviously many times that adds value to their life, but also move consumers to make that conscious choice to transform the world for the better. It's so clear how much the purpose-driven nature and, and consciousness, which is a word that appears in so much of your branding and material is 
let's talk about who the consumer that you're that you're trying to reach is. Who is the average very well consumer? How do you keep up with consumer trends to maintain a position as a leading brand and a premium brand in the industry? Well, as our brand grows, what we're finding out is that our consumer is really the clear spirit drinker. You know, when you when you walk away and think of gin, which is a pretty new category in the U.S., it's one of the fastest growing categories. But if you've been or where you are now in Cannes and in Spain, you walk into a bar or restaurant and you see a gin and tonic specific menu. And those trends usually come over to the U.S. But gin as a category was still pretty small. And one of the biggest compliments that we get about our gin and about our liquid is that people who love gin, including you know some of the most respected international festivals and, and tasting events, um, still considered a gin. There's enough juniper. The balance of juniper is there that it's a respected gin by taste. But the other compliment we get, we get is that consumers come up to us at events and say, oh, I, I don't like gin, but I like gray whale. <laughs> so, so what we found ourselves in is, is in that world of people who, which is really 60% of spirits consumption in the U.S. who, who drinks vodka, is that we're moving them over to something that has more, more dimension and more of a point of view like gin, because sometimes the best version of vodka is it, it's tasteless. It's just, it's just clear. So they're wanting something that feels more sophisticated. That consumer is in the range of 25 to 40 year olds, really split evenly men and women. And it's a conscious consumer, as we talked about before. They want their dollars to be you know, spent just beyond having a great cocktail, but also doing some good in the world. Amazing. And I, you referenced that this is the extension of gin as a, as a spirit is part of the kind of like from the flavored vodka world that this is the next level and your flavors are immaculate and also beautifully sourced from the best of the best that California nature has to offer. Where does Grey Whale then fit as a brand within the larger spirits business? Is this, what, what new category is it kind of developing into? Well, as you, as you said, I mean, one of the kind of aha moments that consumers have at our events is when they say, I, I don't drink gin or I don't like gin. When you tell them gin is actually just flavored vodka, there's kind of like an explosion there in their minds where it's opened up a whole new category, which it is. We, we make a, you know six times a still clear neutral spirit, which is vodka. And then on the seventh distillation, we add our six botanicals, all from the California coastline, as, as you mentioned. And the only botanical that has to be in there to make it, you know, technically a gin is juniper. And I love introducing people to that because it's not just about, you know, discovering gray well gin and loving gray well gin, but it's discovering a whole new category that every gin is different, that some gins are made up with 86 different botanicals and ours happen to focus on, on six. So it's just about finding the right gin. And we saw a white space in the market. If you've ever seen our bottle, we called it the blue space for months as we were developing it. <laughs> our bottle is this beautiful kind of turquoise color, which is actually inspired by the, the Big Sur ocean there. So we want to take people back to that moment. But we called it the, you know, the white space in the market was really when we looked at gins, which my husband and I love gins, and that's what that was our spirit of choice, is they were all coming from this kind of old school, stuffy British English world. And all of the botanicals were really based on dried botanicals, which is where gin started, it was because they couldn't keep fresh botanicals long. So everything came from dried botanicals. So we wanted to come at it from a more modern space, not only as a purpose-driven, which, which is a more modern way of thinking and what our consumer is excited about, 
but also it's very balanced. It doesn't have a really strong juniper flavor, kind of the way that people describe it sometimes tastes like a Christmas tree when you drink a gin. It's balanced throughout and it's made with half of our botanicals are fresh botanicals that are forage along the Pacific coastline or organic. So it really comes with an entirely new voice. And you can see it when you look at the bottle too. It feels really modern. It doesn't feel, you know, etched in 1800s, you know, English heritage, which is what we felt was our, our space in the gin market. And then, you know, really we're, which I learned from working on brands like Samsung and like Target, we're a challenger brand and who we're going after is Hendrix. Hendrix owns 50% of the market. They're, they're massive and they've owned it for, for 20 years. And it's been incredible for us to have Hendrix leading in the market because they opened up that new space for gin. But that's, you know, that's a Scottish gin. That's not an American gin. So that's really what we're running after is Hendrix. Hendrix, we're, we're coming for you. And as I know from working on brands like, like Samsung, it's that kind of like hungry spirit that's going to get us there. That's, that's amazing to know exactly what your kind of target next step is and who you want to be up there with. And, and one of the biggest, most amazing things that you do is, is your purpose-driven partnerships and your, your mission from an environmental standpoint. Can you talk about your partnership with Oceana, which is the largest organization in the world devoted to marine conservation? Pun intended, can you dive deeper into this partnership and why it was so important for you to build a brand based on this level of consciousness and this purpose-driven mission? Yes, we didn't just want to make a monetary donation. We wanted to put our purpose into practice. That was really important for us. You know, after working on brands for 20 years, some brands, you know, are able to deliver on that, but a lot of brands I'd worked with had made statements about purpose, but it wasn't the way that they were behaving. And thankfully, our consumers are holding brands accountable for that. And that's changing now. But that was really important to us. As I said earlier, my husband and I sold our house to start the business. And when we were looking for who was going to be our ocean conservation partner, we spoke with environmentalists, you know, who we knew, marine biologists, people who Marsh knew from his career at National Geographic, and were asking for who would be the right partner for us to really make huge impact. And Oceana makes policy impact globally. So we knew that we wanted them to be our partner. When we had our first phone calls with them, we hadn't sold one bottle and we were, you know, a, a sketch and, you know, we could send them a couple of, a couple of bat batches. And so they weren't ready at first to jump into a partnership with us. So, you know, we made a big, huge, you know, grand gesture and said, okay, before we sell one bottle, we're going to take a very large sum of the money that we use to sell our house and make a donation to Oceana because we knew that we wanted them to know that we were committed to them. And that's how our relationship started. Two weeks later, we had a meeting with their marine biologist because we didn't want to just start from writing on the back of the bottle that we were you know, going to give a portion of our profits. We wanted to really be helpful and really make change. And thinking about that conversation on the cliff edge, using our skill set to help make that change. So we had conversations with the marine biologists and talked to them about what is really threatening the gray whale specifically. And then at the time, really around California, what was threatening the gray whale. And they jumped in and told us about a couple of their different efforts and things that they were focusing on. And then we asked, how can we help? And that was one of those really fortuitous, incredible meetings. It was, we were only two weeks into our relationship. And they said, you guys can help storytelling because that, that's what you are great at. You know, I had Marsh, who was an incredible host and storyteller on camera. I prefer to be 
behind camera. <laughs> and, and then I could come in with bringing in friends who are editors and DPs and I could direct and uh, write the script. And so they told us about one of their initiatives that they were working on with, which was to end drift gillnet fishing in California. And drift gillnets are these mile long, they call them walls of death. They're to catch swordfish, but for every one swordfish it caught, there was another bycatch, which was either a turtle or a dolphin or a shark, or sometimes a whale. The whales swim into the drift gillnets and they think it's kelp and they twist. And then the drift gillnets gets torn and pulled around them. And essentially they suffocate. They can't get to surface, surface to breathe. And we were the only state in the U.S. that still allowed drift gillnet fishing. So there was another incredible uh, solution for those fishermen. It's more sustainable and actually more profitable way for fishing called deep buoy set gear. So working with Oceana, we worked with the state of California and they bid that they would give a million dollars to buy back those drift gillnets from the fishermen. But we had to match that million dollars to raise a total of two. And then to help the fishermen buy the new deep set buoy gear. So we went down to San Ignacio Bay where the gray whales are born, which I could talk about forever. You have to Google that because that's an incredible life-changing experience to go down and see the gray whales in San Ignacio. And we shot some footage with Oceana and marine biologist and put together you know, a two minute film that kind of set up the, the problem and solution and why we needed consumers help to raise this million dollars. And we used that film on our social channels and social media, and then also took it to you know individual family trusts. And we raised that extra million dollars. And we're so happy to say that drift gill nets have been banned in California. And now we're working with Oceana to ban the, the drift gill nets federally as well. Unbelievable. And congratulations. That is, that is a huge accomplishment. What it does ecologically is remarkable, but I, I am so enamored at how this brings together your kind of past <laughs> professional life and your current professional life of you using the skills that you have as a filmmaker, as a marketer, as a storyteller to bring this to life. You've taken all of those qualities and imbued them in this new subject with everything that you keep mentioning of, you know, like you, you're doing uh, visual marketing and you're doing film and it's really, it's, it's the greatest like confluence of, of like your two passions essentially. Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm feeling that joy on a daily basis now. <laughs> so in terms of how that's expressed in, in gray whales presence across digital, social, linear CTV, can you talk about the objectives that Gray Whale Gin has for each of these mediums and how you deliver on, on this creatively? Yes. So because our consumer is so digitally and socially focused, that's really where all of our efforts lie is growing our, our presence there. When Marsh and I first started the company, as we said, you know, we didn't have a lot of funds to focus on, on marketing. So it was an Instagram channel that was following Marsh and I on our entrepreneurial journey with images that I was taking anywhere from our first batch to taking, you know, classes in distilling to working with Oceana. And what we noticed there was that's what people were responding to. Of course, they just got just as excited about cocktail recipes and talking about our flavor profile. But what they really loved was watching our, our journey in building this business. And we always said from the beginning, all we need is a thousand fans when we have a thousand fans that become advocates and tell our story and we know also that we're talking to those 1000 fans in a really compelling and meaningful way 
that we just need to keep doing that. And, and our, our social channels have grown, you know, way beyond that since then. But because of that learning, that's what we focus on is, is staying authentic. We have just as much engagement with our posts about Oceana initiatives and ocean conservation as we do with our incredible, beautiful cocktail posts with, with bartenders. And also people, you know, are still cheering for us. And that's where we're coming from is not as a brand, but as a friend that you're cheering for, not just for the success of the business, but also all the change that we're making in ocean conservation together. That's kind of the creative focus of our, of all of our channels and communications is advocacy and inspiration. As we said, a lot of education about what gin is and how to build it into your cocktail plan, all set against the dreamy California background, <laughs> which, which people obviously love as well. But what was really exciting is we, we created two pieces of advertisements last year, two spots. Uh, that was very difficult for me because from our learnings, when we saw that people wanted to see Marsh and I and our entrepreneurial journey, and that it felt more authentic to our consumers that were real owners behind this brand, I had to jump in front of the camera. Uh, so it, it was easy for Marsh because he's been on camera for 20 years, <laughs> but it was really hard for me to step away. One of my friends directed the spots and obviously I was still, you know, did all of the production design and creative direction and writing scripts, but it was me in the makeup chair, which, which is fun. So now you have to go look at those spots and see if you can see how like awkward I feel. <laughs> but anyway, it was, they were two spots and we, we put paid efforts behind those for the first time. They were on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And this year we're testing OTT, but what we're seeing from those learnings is that consumers are drawn to our creative and they're watching our ads to completion, even up to the, the 20 seconds, which you guys know is forever in the digital world. And that is translating to sales. So, so it's working. All those, all 25 years of my experience of writing, I'm finally able to put it all into, into my own brand, which has been, you know, such a meaningful experience to me to be able to control from the bottle to the taste inside to any of our communications from Instagram to the swag, you know, everything about a brand has been so fun. I, you're your own executive producer here, which is yeah. just this rewarding um, experience. So first off, if, if anybody listening has not is not following Grey Whale Gin on Instagram or the YouTube channel. The images are so beautiful. They will make you want to immediately hop on a plane and head to California if you're not there already. And it's just so, it's so tactile. It's so, they're, they're just gorgeous glamour shots of, of the California coast. I live in California and, and I want to go to the places where this is because it, it feels so, it's so glamorous, but so achievable. What are, what are any other learnings that you've gained from the early stages of marketing Grey Wildgen and how you're using those learnings to activate new campaigns or the directions as you want? I, I know you mentioned you being part of the journey and being in front of the camera. Are there any other experiences that you've, that you've gleaned from this? Yes. One of the biggest learnings we've had in the past year and a half is that the liquid and the story separately are powerful. It's an award-winning, you know, juice inside, but then when people hear the story of being inspired by the gray whale, that it's all forged along the gray whale's migratory path and we give back to ocean conservation. We put those two things together, that is explosive. So really our focus now is uh, liquid to lips. We need people to taste this gin as they're being immersed in the brand. And then that creates a truly powerful 
advocate. So that's where we're going this summer. Obviously, it's so exciting that the world has opened up again. We're really focused on experiential and having that one-on-one interaction with consumers. And we're excited that this summer we're going to the country's top music festivals, um, sitting right next to some of the biggest alcohol and spirits brands in the world and introducing Greywell nationally and the spirit alongside of it. And I know that You've seen some of our Ocean Love Tour and some of the images, but it really is that balance of, you know, beautiful, refreshing cocktails that are breaking gin consumption awards at the gin consumption numbers at the festivals we've been to because all of our partners say, well, gin is a category isn't going to sell as much as tequila and vodka, but the cocktails are so good that, you know, we're up there with them. So that's proving as well, but then also they're surrounded by our ocean conservation mission and you really walk away with a feeling from that at our one-on-one experiences. So you've said uh, a spirit can bring people together for good times and while together do some good in the world. You just brought this up, but can you, can you delve more into the ocean love tour that you've been working on this summer and how that, and how that philosophy applies to what you're doing? So it's an immersive experiential program, which is touching down the summer in California, New York, and Massachusetts. The next one we're going to is Outside Lands in San Francisco. And our footprint includes our VW bus bar. If you follow us on our channels, that the VW bus, it's a 1971 VW bus that was actually our family um, car before we even started the brand. You know, as we said, low budget, we just threw a logo on the side and now it's become an icon for the brand. But we took one of those buses and we, you know, changed it into a full bus, a, a full bar. The top comes off, there's solar panels on the roof, which power our frozen whale, hello there, cocktail machines. So it's really focused on incredible cocktails that take you to that California world. But also you have an opportunity to walk through our blue mine tunnel. And once inside the tunnel, you'll see images and videos of the Pacific ocean, gray whales. You'll be immersed in what it's like to be underwater. And it's really based on science of the blue mind. When we see bodies of water, when we're in bodies of water, your brain chemistry actually changes. And it goes back to how Marsh and I felt on that, that cliff edge in Big Sur, your cortisol levels drop and your serotonin goes up and you feel more creative and happier and connected to the people around you. Being around water literally makes your brain happy. And I know when we think about that, Everybody can nod their head to that. When you're on vacation, you, you suddenly go into a different state of mind. So this blue mind tunnel, one, it's air conditioned, which is very important at a festival. And you walk in and you're immersed in feeling like you're underwater with the whales. And what we wanted to remind people of is all the things that the ocean does for us, like that blue mind experience. And that it's really easy to make impact yourself, even as easy as buying a gray Belgian cocktail or when they come out of the tunnel, if they hashtag something they love about the ocean, hashtag ocean love 2022, we'll make another donation to Oceana and they'll be entered to win a contest to win their own ocean love vacation back in California. And it's been so much fun to, to build this piece from a branding standpoint, like I just totally geeked out on every single inch of it. So if you have to go online and look at that too, there's a botanical wall that's built up with all of our cannibal um, botanicals. That's a great Instagram moment. The VW bus, the tunnel you can go under. And then my friend, David Levitt, who's a artist and mural artist in LA did a lenticular on one side, which um, is something that all ad creatives love lenticulars. So any side that you see it from, you'll see a different piece of 
piece of artwork, but it's so exciting to be out there back in the world and, and get, get the cocktail in people's hands. And that's what we're seeing is people are just as excited to help spread our message about ocean conservation as well. The activations are gorgeous. I hope that everybody gets to see these, the pictures from these sites or, or visit a stop on the ocean love tour. And I'm so glad you mentioned the VW bus because just for context, um, this is now a scientific America podcast is that a newborn gray whale is, can be up to 15 feet long when born, which is the length of a VW bus. Yes. We use that a lot when we're making cocktails. We'll like nod behind us and say, that's about how big it is. And when we mentioned San Ignacio Bay for everyone to put this on their, on their bucket list, it is where the gray whales go to have their calves and where the babies are born. They've been going there for thousands of years. It's protected UNESCO site and it's warm and it keeps them protected from, from sharks and prey while they're teaching they're young how to swim. And what's so incredibly moving about it is that it's the only place in the world that gray whales seek out human contact. For generations, they've been telling you know, the next generation that it, it's a safe place to, to interact with humans. So if you go to San Ignacio, you can Google San Ignacio gray whales and Nat Geo and all these incredible images will come up. But you go out on a tiny boat, which is you know smaller than our VW bus, tiny boat. And if you've been on a whale watching tour before usually in a huge boat and there's like you know sonar and they're like we're we're tracking one off to the left two miles away and this you, you go out on a little rudder boat and they turn off the engine and there's only eight of you on this tiny boat and then you're thinking okay what now and they just say well we wait and sure enough a whale the size of a bus swims up next to you and leans onto your boat. They never turn it over. They're so gentle and they want you to touch them and pet them and they they lift their babies up from, oh, it's, I mean, the first time my husband and I went, we just sobbed. It's such a beautiful thing. And they lift their babies up from underneath so they can see you and you're eye to eye with a whale and you will leave their change forever. So I'd love for everybody to put that into their, their bucket list and they'll become ocean conservationists in a moment. <laughs> Are we allowed to take gray whale gin out on the boat with us while we, while we gray whale gin watch? Oh, gray whale watch. <laughs> Definitely. We've done that trip many times. Absolutely. Before we do our last question, Dan, you mentioned something earlier that I was so fascinated by. And if it's cool to, to dive more into that, you said when you were starting the social accounts that you needed, you know, a thousand fans that if you hit that, you could keep going from there. I, I'd love to hear more about how you came to that mission. Was that something that, that was ever from your days working on television of needing to like unlock a certain part of an audience to get that momentum. It makes the goal of this feel achievable. I think for anybody listening, who is trying to develop something new, put something new into the industry, craft a different idea. Could you talk more about that? And like maybe where that number comes from or how that philosophy has helped create benchmarks. I wish that I could tell you what author I read that number from, but it's from early days in, in advertising. I think it's, it's a classic, but I've always followed that ethos and mantra, whether I was working on, you know, Samsung or, or, or Graywell gin, thinking about getting into when you're a writer and you sit down to write a script, you can read everything you can about your consumer and data, but you really have to get some people's faces into your mind. And that's where we started where you're working on, you know, a brand that's influencing millions or you're, you're just starting a brand. So that's where I always came from was thinking about all of those, those people in a room and what they're going to be moved by emotionally and, and what's going to be compelling to them. And, and also, you know, as storytellers and telling the stories of brands, we always come back to 
bringing value to people's lives. And sometimes that value is just inspiration and joy. And I, you know, obviously there's a value in cocktails and, and, and spirits, but I think especially with our brand, it comes from a place of inspiration and joy and hope. So when we're thinking about those thousand fans, there's, there's two points to that. Yes, you're creating advocates that are emotionally invested in your brand and, and they want you to win and they want to be the one to walk into a party with our bottle and tell the story behind the mission and say that they were there from the beginning. But then also those thousand fans and the success you have with them is, is truly qualitative data. You know that you're doing something right if you've been able to convert that, that many fans to be out there telling the story of your brand. And it has been happening to us now that the world has opened up again. And we, we were just in New York for Governor's Ball a couple of weeks ago for a festival. And we'll have people come up to us and call me by my first name and my husband by his first name. And they don't live in California and they're not our friends and they don't live in our neighborhood. And they'll say, we've been following your journey for years and we still have a batch one that's sitting on our shelf. And this is the gift we give everybody for Christmas. And, and this is the story that we tell and we're changing everybody over to be gin drinkers. And that is a, a beautiful thing, really, when that happens, we know that we're, we're doing something right. <laughs> it really all comes down to the personal connections that we make through the brands that we experience, through the content that we enjoy. And you're delivering both of those. Finally, from parties to backyard barbecues to restaurants now where I have 100% team Grey Whale, it's now always in the mix. What can we expect to see from Grey Whale Gin this summer and where can we find it? Well, it's a big summer for us because we're finally be able to get out there and show up across all of our consumer touch points and expose everyone to Grey Whale. So as I said, we're going to be at the festivals all summer long. You guys can follow our Ocean Love Tour online. And we're distributed in almost every state in the country. We just, we're just working on one more. And you can find us at liquor stores and on-premise restaurants and bars. And also our store locator on graywellgin.com is updated real time. That's a really easy way to find us around you and you know have it delivered right to your home with Drizzly or Reserve Bar. And follow us on Instagram at graywellgin to keep up with the story and follow the story. And, um, and soon it'll be with you guys in Cannes. It'll be in France. <laughs> So exciting. And what is your favorite way to consume? Well, my favorite cocktail is called the whale. Hello there. It's a lot like a skinny margarita recipe. It's fresh lemon juice, uh, lime juice, agave, and gin. You guys can find the recipe on all of our channels, but it was my favorite gin cocktail before we started the brand. It wasn't like an old classic. It's just one that, that I made. And the reason we called it the whale. Hello there is because some of our first partnership events, when we would show up with a product, and people would say, I don't drink gin. And then you would, you know, put this in their face and say, try this. It was, it's like, well, hello there to gin. They suddenly realized they just needed to, to find the right gin. So it's a really refreshing drink. And this summer we have frozen versions of those at the festivals, which is just too easy to drink. It's so yummy. My husband is, is classic gin fan. So he's all Negroni. He's martini, just straight. Um, and then I always, always come back to like a classic G&T in the summer as well. You truly can't beat it. Jan, it was such a pleasure to speak to you. We cheers your success, your continued growth and everything new that you're going to bring to the spirits industry, to the conservation world. We really look forward to seeing what you next put out in the world. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me and having me here to tell my story.
Thanks for listening to Spotless. To hear more from our guests, find us in the Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast stores. Tune in next week for more from the boldest voices across creative technology and television. I'm your host, Alexis Ruff. I love TV and I hate camping.